The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Wednesday morning, March the 23rd, 2022. It is 7.02 on your Tucson Wednesday, and you're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, or maybe you're listening on the live stream, which you have found on ESPNTucson.com or an Alexa-enabled device, or perhaps you're listening in the future to the podcast. Woo! Uh, what was the, 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 the bit that used to, that, uh, what's his name? The, the late night guy, the, the tall ginger Irish guy, for some reason, I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. Very funny guy. He used to do the, the bit where they'd have the guy with the light, the, like the flashlight under his chin. And he would say in the year 2000, like he was speaking to the future and stuff. And we would all think about the year 2000 and. Now it's uh, 2022, and 2000 seems like a distant, distant memory. Certainly uh, the last three years have been quite the toll on us here uh, in America and across the world. But we've got plenty of other things to uh, to talk about today, other fish to fry, if you will, plenty of sports to get into, including lots of local stuff. We'll start to talk about the Arizona Wildcats as they headed off for San Antonio last night via their charter from the Tucson International Airport into San Antonio. They have put the pin down last night, as, uh, as the uh, young ones say, and uh, they are ready, getting ready for their, uh, their, their matchup tomorrow night against the Houston Cougars. Uh, should be a, 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 a real epic throwdown. I mean, these, these two teams are, um, are going to give it all. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Houston plays as hard as anybody. And uh, Arizona showed that they are willing to play as hard as anybody, harder than anybody, to get that win because they needed a gut check in that game on Sunday against TCU. I need a gut check after that game on Sunday. My stomach hurt the next day. Like I was doing the show Monday morning, my stomach still hurt. It felt like it was still in knots over watching that game. And You know, that's been like, you know, as, as I'm out and about and, talking with people and stuff because I'm out in the community quite a bit up here in Phoenix for my other job and you know you run into a lot of people that this is the, like this is the time of year like I always I love and I hate this time of year for like I hate it for one thing because everybody now is watching college basketball and everyone seems to think that they're a stinking expert on basketball or college basketball or picking games or whatever have you it drives me nuts it's like it would be like watching the Super Bowl, only watching the Super Bowl, and considering yourself an NFL expert. Like, you get those people, too. <laughs> but, like, up here, it's different. In Tucson, okay, when you're living in Tucson and you're in the community and stuff, you're more familiar, unless you just completely shut yourself off to Wildcat athletics, which some people do. Um, unless you completely shut yourself off, you are familiar with what's going on with the team. You're, you know that the team is good. There's a lot of buzz in town. I mean, there always is, but I mean, you're kind of you're somewhat familiar up here, because people don't even think about basketball unless the Phoenix Suns are really good, which they are. Um, but up here, it's just like nobody thinks about college basketball. They know U of A is good, uh, whether they like it or not. They know that they're good. But then the tournament rolls around, and they watch one game, one game, 
and they're immediately an expert on the subject. I can't, I can't begin to tell you over the last two days how many basketball experts I've talked to that have told me that either U of A got lucky or uh, TCU got robbed or what a horrible basketball game that was. I talked to a guy last night. He came up to me, and he knows that I work for, for Arizona. He knows that I work for the basketball team. So I've known the guy for a couple of years now. Walks up to me. He's an older guy. He's from the Midwest. He's more of like a, he's like a, he's kind of a Midwest. He's a hockey guy. He's like he's from Western PA. Like he grew up near where Sean Miller grew up, actually. But he's more of like a hockey guy. He's like big hockey and also you know football basically. So he walks up to me last night. He's like, hey, uh, you know, how you feeling after the after the game? I was like, oh, you know, I was a little sick to my stomach to be honest with you. It was tight, but uh, we got the win. He goes, what a horrible basketball game. I look at him. I go, excuse me. He goes, this is a horrible basketball. I go, hey, uh, Mr. Midwest guy, Christian Coloco and Benedict Matherin, those are two players for Arizona, outscored five other teams, five other teams in that weekend of, t- of play, on, on specifically those two days of play. Five other teams, four of which are from the Midwest. So I said, I, I look and I go, I go you want to watch bad basketball, go watch your Big Ten play basketball. Then come back and tell me that what you saw Sunday night was bad basketball. Oh, you're missing shots all over the place. I go, I said, Arizona shot 63% from the field. <laughs> what, 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 what are you talking about? Oh, they missed a bunch of missed free throws. I go, they shot above 70%. Both teams did. I go, what game were you watching, sir? I, I get so angry with people. Oh, it was horrible basketball. You don't know what you're talking about. Please don't be that person, by the way, because I was ready to punch this person in the face. I get, I get so, I get so nauseated by people who show up, instant experts on the subject when they've watched one stinking game, one, and that's what that's what you get during this time of year. You get it after the Super Bowl too. Oh, the Rams, best team all year, bull, bull. Don't do not tell me the Rams were the best football team all season long. You're an idiot. Like, it just drives me nuts. I'm all fired up now because I just I'm reminded myself of how angry I was yesterday talking to this person and angry from earlier in the day when somebody told me that Arizona got lucky winning that game. Lucky? No. <laughs> Please, don't, don't demean their effort by saying that they were lucky. There's nothing lucky about it. And the TCU fans and the TCU Twitter, oh, my God, how intolerable are these people? And I, when I mean into, intolerable, childish, whiny crybabies who have, have earned nothing. Your school's never even been to a Sweet 16. First of all, it's Texas. Worry about football. That's what everybody else in that state worries about is football. Just, just worry about your football team okay? and what they're going to do after firing Gary Patterson midway through the season last year when he was like, hey, I'll finish out the season. They're like, no, no, go ahead. And Gary Patterson's, all right, I'm going to light a fire in this place then. <laughs> I'll burn this place to the ground. He took a bunch of people with him. Good luck rebuilding that program. They're, they're my God, the people who run their, uh, their social media, wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, like I'm, I've been having a, a genuinely good time watching Arizona fans go and pick up receipts from the TCU Horned Frogs uh, social medias. 
and start posting them. Like it's been it's been fun. <laughs> Arizona fans, it's like it's like we figured out we, we we had all this swagger to begin with, right? And look, Arizona's earned it. Arizona fans, you have had a we've had a top notch basketball team for thirty two years. We've earned it, right? More than thirty two years, thirty eight years, right? So we we've earned it. Like it's. It's not a fluke. It wasn't, you know, just like, oh, we had one good coach that had a good run for, you know, seven or eight years, and then he moved on, and now we're back to nothing again. This has been a solid program since 83, <laughs> okay? Almost almost 40 years. So Arizona fans have earned it. But then, like, two years ago, Arizona fans learned how to use Twitter, and, and now, oh, man, <laughs> this is entertaining as hell. Because that's all Arizona fans needed was a a national outlet, some kind of a a national voice for themselves to be heard. I mean, Arizona fans were already heard in regards to basketball uh, at tournaments, whether it be preseason, you know, non-conference style neutral site tournaments or postseason tournaments. I mean, everybody knows Arizona fans show up. There's these are the fans that show up across the country: Kansas, Kentucky, Arizona. Those are those are the three big ones, like it, and sometimes North Carolina fans. Um, when North Carolina is really rolling, their fans are are they're well traveled, but you can always count on Kansas, Kentucky, and Arizona fans showing up for their team, regardless of where it is, who they're playing, or how good or bad their team is. Those those fans will show up. Everyone knows it's been that way for decades. So everyone already knows that. Now Arizona fans have found a way to vocalize themselves on a social media platform and let everybody hear them uh, in that in that and it's just been uh, it's been very entertaining to say the least like <laughs> it's it's uh, it's been fun I'm not like again I'm not a big fan of Twitter uh, I have it because I basically have to if I didn't have to have it I would not have it it is a cesspool for horrid things and awful people. But it is entertaining as hell to watch Arizona fans go after people and, and just pile on. It is phenomenal. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's because uh, Arizona fans got each other back. Like it, it's uh, it's fun. It, and you know, there's plenty to talk about right now. Plenty to talk about. The entire country hates Kirk Creesa, but let, yet there's a, a video trending on Twitter right now of his Croc, his his multicolored Croc shoe. Taking a ride at Disneyland on the Thunder Mountain Railroad. <laughs> oh, man. It is good. It is good to be a Wildcat. It's good to be a Wildcat fan right now. Things are good. But they got a big game on Thursday night, and everything could change. The season could could turn on a dime uh, based on the outcome of that game. We could go from from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and wondering what went wrong and yada, yada, yada. Regardless of what happens tomorrow night, Arizona fans should celebrate a phenomenal season of basketball. I mean, th- this has been the most excited that that fans have been about this team in a few years, and it's great to see. And the future is very, very bright. And I don't think this team is going to look all that different next year, to be honest with you. Benedict Matherin will be a lottery pick. He's gone. Like he'll be a top. He'll, he's working his way into a top ten pick, and I think he's going to have another big game tomorrow night. Uh, he'll he'll work his way into a high lottery pick. There will be teams climbing over one another to get to him because of just all the things that he brings. You know, he was left off of the Naismith list last night. Uh, you know, the Naismith's finalists were, were 
announced. Tommy Lloyd on the Naismith list for Coach of the Year. That's that's good. He's on the finalist list, the final four essentially um, for that list. So that's good to see that he's getting the acknowledgement that he deserves. Benedict Matherin left off the list. He was not a first-team All-American. Okay, so I, I would say very rarely do do second-team All-Americans get put on the Naismith finalist list. It's just not one of those things that, that happens. So this we kind of knew this was coming, but again, the reminder of it lit a fire under some of the people, and maybe, just maybe, it's going to light another fire under Benedict Mather because I honestly think that the the second team or the first team All American snub is something that served him, you know, some motivation for him, and possibly pushed him to do, uh, you know, to, to these to these great heights and these these great plays that he's made. You know, honestly, it looks like he's he's forcing the ball at sometimes. There's there's been a couple of instances where it's just like he's forcing the shot just a little bit. Not not a whole lot, not taking bad shots per se, but just forcing it a little bit. It's it's kind of right in the middle of the flow of offense, Ben jacks up a shot, okay? And again, it's not a bad shot, but he hasn't made them either. So there's been some there's been some difficult moments for him where I think like it, it definitely stands out that he's being motivated by by that snub. You would never know it because Ben is a very humble, very quiet guy. But Benedict, like much like Tommy Lloyd, has that fire inside of him. You know, I, I, I've talked about Tommy Lloyd on this show. I've been interviewed at other radio stations across the country about Tommy Lloyd. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell, uh, you know, about Tommy when I'm discussing with, you know, with another station or another city somewhere or something like that, it's that people don't understand the amount of fire that he's got in his belly. You know, Tommy looks like the happy-go-lucky all-shucks kid. You know, he's got the smile on his face, got the rosy cheeks, got the baby face look going on for him. He's real kind to the media, you know, and all that. And then, you, you know, you, you see him on the court and you hear the things he says on the court, and you're like, this guy's a savage. Like, this guy's a killer. He's got that killer mentality. You know, and I tell that story where, you know, he's <laughs> – it was against – it was against – I think it was your Cal or Stanford. It was Cal. In the the game that we played in McHale, obviously, <clears throat> and I think the Cats are up fourteen or fifteen, and it was obvious that the game was going to start getting away from Cal at this point. It was midway through the second half, like twelve minutes left in the second half, whatever. And one of the officials, I don't remember who it was, one of the officials came over to Tommy. There was kind of a, a stoppage at the free throw line. The, the, the officials were trying to line players up, or there was a discussion about a you know a, a reserve or something coming in. I don't remember what it was. Anyway. There was a stoppage in, in time, and, and an official had took the opportunity to come over to Tommy and was basically like, you know, basically asked him, like, you know, you got the game in hand, Tommy, and I'm paraphrasing here. You got the game in hand. You know, what's your plan for the for the rest of the game? And Tommy kind of just, you know, put his hands on his on his knees, kind of, you know, leaned over and just kind of looked at him, you know, side of a side of the eye there, and just kind of turned his head a little bit, and he goes, "No tricks. We're going to ram it right down their throat. No tricks." And he just smiled and walked away. <laughs> And the referee was like, okay, then. Like, Tommy's a killer. He really is. And he doesn't look like he is that guy. You know, he doesn't look like uh, Raleigh Massimino did back in the day or, you know, guys, you know, Dana Altman scowling and pacing and stuff like that. I mean, he doesn't look like that kind of guy, but uh, do not be fooled by his facade. And he has bred that into his players. This team has got some killers on it, and Benedict Matherin is one of them. I believe that he has taken that snub, the All-American first-team snub, and quietly turned that into some real 
fiery motivation for himself. Because right now, in the first two games of the tournament, he's averaging 24 points a game, six and a half rebounds, one of them the biggest rebound of his life, two assists and two steals per game. That's what he's averaging. Like those are in those are incredibly good numbers, in case you didn't know, for college basketball. If if you had an NBA career where you averaged twenty four, seven, two and two, you're a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Again, not comparing college and the NBA, but what I'm saying is that Ben has stepped his game up, and I believe that he has used that motivation, uh, and maybe. This Naismith, uh, you know, it's not a snub because we kind of, I think we all kind of knew it was coming, but nonetheless, it became a headline yesterday when he wasn't on the list. So maybe that becomes some motivation for him as they get ready to take on Houston. Not that he needed motivation, but sometimes uh, players just need a little extra push, right? Or, or coaches will find a way to find that extra 1% out of a player that they need to get them the win. And if Tommy Lloyd can unlock that in Benedict Matherin tomorrow night, it could serve the Wildcats very, very well in moving forward into the Elite Eight. Another guy who has unlocked some serious potential in this tournament is Christian Coloco. I'll talk about why I think Christian Coloco is the most important part of this team tomorrow night. That's next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Talking some Wildcat basketball right now as they gear up for their matchup against the Houston Cougars tomorrow night. Tip-off is scheduled for 6.59 p.m. local with a likely five-minute slide because tournament games just take a little bit longer. Like, you can almost set a, a clock by a college basketball regular season game. If it doesn't go to, to overtime, two hours. Like, they're just they're – just, they, they miraculously end at two hours somehow every single time. <laughs> tournament games, about 2.08, 2.10, and that's without overtime also. They just run a little bit longer – Officials take longer on on out of bounds calls. Um, yeah, just it, everything just kind of slows down just a little bit. It's postseason; it's the way it's supposed to go. So I mentioned before the break that I think Christian Coloco is the most important piece for Arizona in this particular matchup, and and, and there's there's several reasons why. You know, people when they when they think Kelvin Sampson, they think Houston, they think you know, kind of like the Nolan Richardson school, forty minutes of hell and all that stuff. It's not it's not like that. Kelvin Sampson's system is a little bit different than that yes they will pressure the ball they do go full court at times they're not like a complete attack and uh and and you know just rip the ball away from you the way those arkansas teams were uh and the way you know a few of the teams in the ncaa still are today they're not like that houston just plays a really athletic physical brand of basketball that requires two things rebounding and a you know basically rebounding and ball pressure those are the two things that they that they specialize in one thing that they don't specialize in is being able to a protect the rim or b keep big guys from you know from having you know from having big games so what they do is they they will just stream doubles and triple teams into the paint when a big guy makes a catch now christian coloco has been 
kind of feasting. And I, I think in, in Christian's best games this year are games where he's been able to post up a little bit more. Um, he seems like back-to-the-basket offense in the, in the, in the half-court set has served him extremely well this year. But the pick-and-roll aspect and you know front-facing has really begun to develop later in the conference season. You know, the, the last half of the conference season is when we started to see Christian doing a lot of more rolling to the basket, playing with his face to the basket, and improving, you know, in that instance. And that's where it's going to have to, to be. He's going to have to be really good facing the basket because if he's posting up all night long against a smaller guy, sure, mouse in the house, no problem. He's got the height advantage on every single player that's on Houston's roster. There's no, there's, there's no question there. Houston is not a big team. The, the, the size advantage for Arizona will be massive in this game. However, Christian Coloco has uh, at times shown that he can be a little shaky when it comes to ball security around double teams, specifically when guards run at him and double team him and try to get active with their hands. So catching high, keeping the ball away from them at, the, at their level is going to be key for him. But really, I think the key for him is going to be setting really good ball screens and having good rolls, sealing off his man properly and getting easy buckets that way. If you look at, at the games that Houston had trouble with this year, like when, when you're looking at, um, at, at, at like the, the, you know, the, essentially the games that they lost this year, they didn't lose many of them. They lost, uh, they lost to Wisconsin by two points in, in Las Vegas in the, the, uh, uh, the Maui Gym Invitational that was played in Vegas this year. Johnny Davis went off in that game. Like that was like we all knew Johnny Davis was a good, a good basketball player. He had, like, he was unstoppable. He had like thirty-four points or something in that game. He he went crazy in that game, um, and the rest of the Wisconsin team scored. I'm not kidding. I think the rest of the Wisconsin team scored like twenty points after after Johnny Davis finished his day. Like it was, it was insane. Like it was Johnny Davis show. Um, so Johnny Davis was kind of the outlier there. Wisconsin doesn't have much of a big you know, big man presence, anyways. It's always the clear the lane ISO Johnny Davis. Uh, this and that. But when you look at the other games that they played, um, there was always a big man involved for the opposing team. And I will also say this, in one of the other trends that I noticed for some for a lot of these teams that beat uh, Houston, I shouldn't say a lot of the teams, there were only three teams that beat them all year. There was uh, Wisconsin, Alabama, and uh, Memphis beat them twice. Oh, SMU beat them once, that's true. Uh, SMU did, did beat them. Um, I think that might have even been on a buzzer beater at at da- in Dallas at SMU. Regardless, the the like one of the common denominators was is that all of those teams, except for in one instance, shot below their season average in three point attempts. Now it's not that it's not that Houston is you know undefeatable in you know in in guarding the three point line. Like they just you know they're not the best team in the country in the world at defending the three point line. They're very good, uh, but it's not like they're you know the greatest team ever in defending the three-point line. I mean, again, like, they're good, but let's not, let's not call like that. What it is is other teams trying to attack inside because they know that there's a deficiency down low for, uh, for, for Houston. I mean, their, their three-point defense is good. It's top ten in the country. So you've got to be cognizant of that. But I think a lot of it is because teams were feeding the post a lot. Teams were trying to beat them down low. They do not have a rim protector. Um, and – Yes, their two-point field goal percentage defense is really good. Their defense, all in all, is really good. They're just a really good defensive team. They challenge 
shots. They challenge ball catches. They challenge, uh, you know, dribblers. I mean, they, they, they make life uncomfortable for offenses. But if Arizona can, can get the kind of production from Christian Coloco essentially at, you know, at the free throw line at the top of the key, in my opinion, that's where they're going to make their hay because Christian Coloco is a phenomenal athlete, much like Jalen Duran at Memphis is. If you haven't seen Jalen Duran, by the way, he he's a monster. Like he's he just turned eighteen years old. He looks like Dwight Howard. Like it's ridiculous. He's 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 an amazing specimen. Memphis beat Houston twice. Jalen Duran was an absolute unstoppable force. In at one and a half of those games, he I think he fouled out late in one of the games, but well, when he was on the floor, Houston just didn't they they couldn't deal with him like they they couldn't handle him, and I think that Christian Coloco has that opportunity tomorrow night to be the Jalen Duran the 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 magic elixir of how to beat Houston, and I'm sure that Tommy and the staff are going to look at that. And they're going to say, okay, here's what worked in some of those games. Look at what Jalen Duran was doing with, you know, with this. He's sealing off his man. He's using his strength and athleticism, much the way Christian Coloco is able to do. And really, Coloco has become the most efficient player as far as offensive efficiency goes. According to Ken Palm rankings, he is. He's the most efficient player in the tournament, like even more so than Zach Eady, uh, the the seven foot four center from from Purdue. More so than the the amazing Drew Timmy at Gonzaga, more so than uh, Jaden Ivey, who's got a really uh, you know a really high efficiency rating for as electric as he is running the backcourt. He's you know he's he's remarkable. But uh, Christian Coloco is the most efficient offensive player left in the tournament. His offensive ratings in the two games this year, in, according to Ken Palm, were a one forty eight and a one fifty two. Okay. Now, just to put those in in perspective for you, Drew Timmy this season, who is one of the best offensive players in the country, one of the he, I mean, he gets he shoots seventy percent from the field. Like he's the most efficient player year to year, you know, week to week, day to day in the country. His season average for the whole season was one twenty eight. Christian Coloco in his first two games in the, in the tournament, are 148 and 152. The key is shattering offensive efficiency ratings right now. And I think that can continue. I really think that there's a deficiency in the middle of that Houston defense. You just got to get the ball in there. That's, that's the key, right? You got to make sure that you can get into those offensive sets without turning the ball over and try to get it inside, and Coloco has to go fast. Like, he, he, there's gonna, not going to be time for him to decide, like, do I want to go left, do I want to go right? It is catch, high, attack, the rim, go. That's it. And he's shown that he can do that. Uh, in fact, when you look at some of his NBA scouting profiles and the reports and stuff out there, um, one of, the, like one of the, 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 the pros of his game is that he finishes fast. And they're right. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't dilly-dally. He's not a guy, you know, like Dusan would catch the ball. And I, don't get me wrong. I love Dusan, and he was a problem for the Pac-12 for three years. Coaches hated. I, I, I talked to coaches on the road, head coaches, and they would all say, they would all tell me the same thing. Like, Dusan's he's a nightmare. He's a matchup nightmare because nobody, you, you don't know where he's going to go. He's got 12 different finishing, finishing moves. Okay. But as soon as you threw the ball to Dusan, it was going to be four seconds before anything happened. Right? <laughs> like, 
it just took time. He was he was more deliberate with his off, offense. <clears throat> pardon me, than other players are. Christian Coloco isn't nearly as deliberate. Coloco catches the ball and he goes, and that's one of the the big pros of his game is that if he if he can catch the ball high, if they get him into a you know a good scoring position, which Dalen Terry and Kirk Creesa, Justin Kyer, Benedict Matherin have been able to do time and time and time again, uh, then he's able to finish fast. And and he's very efficient. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have to jump very high, seven foot one with a seven foot nine wingspan. Doesn't have to jump very high to get the ball into the into the rim. So it's it, in my opinion, he's like he's the centerpiece for this team tomorrow. Now, in future games, if Arizona gets past Houston, maybe it's going to be guard play. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's going to have to be Arizona's going to have to shoot 34, 35% from beyond the arc if they want to win this game. Don't know. But I know, what, I know right now that if you want to beat Houston, you have to – well, first of all, you've got to rebound. I'll have my three keys tomorrow, the three keys to an Arizona victory. And I guarantee you rebounding will be on that list because there's another interesting little statistic about all of Houston's losses this year, except for one. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. But, yeah, Christian Coloco has just been insane. 19 of 22 from the field in the tournament. 19 of 22. 7 of 11 from the free throw line. That's basically his season average. 12 offensive rebounds. Oh, by the way, he also has eight assists. Oh, by the way, he also has eight block shots. Like, he's been as great as Benedict Matherin has been. And Ben has has had incredible moments, game-saving moments for Arizona, as has Dale and Terry. No one has been more efficient than Christian Coloco. And if you remember at the beginning of the season, what did Tommy Lloyd say that he wanted out of his teams? Like people say, like, you know, what's your system? What's your system? He goes, I want to be efficient on offense. I want to be as efficient as humanly possible on offense as we can be. Well, he's got his man. Christian Coloco is right now the most efficient player in the country on offense. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk some NFL. There was a little NFL news. Plus, I want to get into the lack of talent that the Pac-12 has been sending into the NFL draft and how that may change in the, in the, you know, the current years to come. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here talking uh, some NFL draft. It's coming up. We're uh, what a month and six days away from my Christmas morning. Christmas Day or Christmas weekend, it's, it's a whole weekend of stuff. I, I I absolutely love the NFL draft. We'll have lots of NFL draft coverage here on the Jeff Dean Show. We're going to get through March Madness first, and then we will turn our attentions immediately to that. But I do want to talk about this for a moment because it, it, it you know, it with Mel uh, Kuyper's first mock draft, is essentially his first official mock draft coming out yesterday, uh, I immediately took note of the amount of Pac-12 players that were in his mock draft, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Last year's draft saw only three Pac-12 players drafted in the first round. Panay Sewell, who started, I think, 15 of the 17 games for the for the Lions last year at left tackle, had a, a good season. I mean, you know, continued to improve, and he's a great player. We, we knew he was going to be really good. Uh, then Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, guard from South, uh, South Carolina, from USC, 
Uh, he was taken with the number 14 overall pick. I think he started 16 games for the Jets last year. And then surprisingly, Joe Tryon changed his name to Tryon Sharinka, uh, I believe, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was the last pick of the first round, a linebacker from Washington. He played in a few games for uh, for Tampa last year, had a few tackles. Overall, 28 draft picks by the Pac-12 in the 2021 NFL Draft. Okay, Not terrible, but when you compare it to SEC, ACC, Big 12, Big 10, it falls vastly short, specifically in first and second day picks because in the second day of the draft, only three, six, uh, eight players were taken on the second day in the second and third rounds. And honestly, not many of them really made <laughs> much of a difference in the teams they went to. Davis Mills with the Houston Texans, he had a, he had a, a good season. Um, I think most people were surprised by by how Davis Mills played uh, at the at the next level. I think he had a you know uh, an admirable season, admirable enough to where people are like, Houston Texans could get through this year with Davis Mills. Like that could be they could be fine with him this year. Again, nobody's going to pick them to win the Super Bowl. So what difference does it make anyways? And then there was a couple of Arizona players taken. Roy Lopez, obviously, with his pick, you know, take, taken in the sixth round, and he immediately started doing things in Houston. Like, he had a really nice season. You could you could watch Texans games, and there are people with Roy Lopez jerseys on. And they weren't his family. Okay? I know his family. I know his, I know his cousin. I'm really, really close with one of his cousins. And, you know, there were people there wearing Roy Lopez jerseys, and he's a fan favorite. Like, they love him. He plays hard. And they – the, the coaches have spoken about him. Like, he's made he's made news in Houston. Uh, Six-round pick, of course, and uh, we love him too. So it got me thinking, like, what's, you know, what's next for the Pac-12? Because if you look at Mel Kuyper's mock draft, okay, it, uh, it doesn't take long to get to a Pac-12 player. He's got Drake London going fourth overall to the New York Jets, of course, wide receiver from USC. He's then got uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. We all know that, that he's a highly rated prospect. He's got him going number seven overall from Oregon. Then you've got um, the next, I think the next person is, yeah, Trent McDuffie, cornerback of, of Washington. I'm, when I previewed the Washington game, I said they're both going to go to the NFL draft. One of them's not eligible. Trent McDuffie is. He's a first-round pick, period. End of story. He's one of the best corners in the country. And that proved to be true. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. And I think that's it. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Devin Lloyd. Can't forget about Devin Lloyd, uh, the the tackling machine from Utah over the last couple of years. He's got uh, uh, – Kuyper's got him going 19th overall to the, to the Eagles. But that's it. Four Pac-12 players in the first round. Is that enough? Is that is that enough for, for Pac-12 fans? My answer is no. I mean, you know, the, the Pac-12 used to be – Seven or eight players drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. It used to be kind of split evenly, right? Like we'd, like the Pac-12 would have seven or eight. The Big Ten would have six or seven. The SEC would have nine or ten. The ACC would have like four or five usually. The Big 12 would have about six or seven. And then maybe a couple of small school guys sprinkled in there, and you get your 32, and you're good. Right now, Pac-12, three last year, four this year, that ain't enough. Like there, there's – and I know that there are other leagues out there that are producing some some talent. You know, the Mountain West, uh, you know, the WAC has produced a couple of guys here and there. But it's not enough. So what's, what is the Pac-12, like what does the landscape look like moving forward for the Pac-12 at the NFL draft? Because really, you know, you win with great players, right? I mean, we, we all know that. There, there's not, 
there's not been a, a national champion crowned in the last, I, I don't know, 50 years that didn't have a collection of the best players of, of you know, young players of, of football in the world. So it takes players to win. So naturally, if you're having players drafted highly, that means you're also winning. So therefore, you must have the players in order to win in, in uh, at the collegiate level. And that's what a couple of the new coaches are looking to do. Of course, Jed Fish right here in our own backyard, the number 20 rated class in the, in the uh, 247 sports in their, in their rankings for the 2022 class with uh, uh, 21 incoming uh, recruits. Second best in the Pac-12 behind Stanford, who had a really highly rated class, the number 16 rated class in the country. After that, hey, uh, can we wake up a little bit? Like Some of these teams need to wake up. Okay, Utah kind of pulling their weight. They're 35th overall ranked. Um, Utah doesn't require great classes because they have long classes, right? As a lot of those guys, you know, go on missions and things like that. They come back, they're 22, they have three years of eligibility left, and Kyle Whittingham gets to coach them into the players that they will eventually be at the next level. Kyle Whittingham does a great job of coaching them up. That program does. It it always has. But everybody else is kind of slacking. I mean, when you look at the at the rankings, Arizona State's 86 in the country in in their in their incoming class. Uh, Cal 57th, Colorado 48th, surprisingly. Oregon was 64th this year. And, you know, they, they, I mean, they signed a few guys. It wasn't like they only signed four guys. <laughs> okay, Oregon had like 10 signees. Oregon State is top 50 in the country. UCLA, 47. Come on, Chip. Now, USC at 58 is, wow. Like, you're like, USC's at the 58th rated class in the country. And, again, they didn't sign a whole lot of guys. They've had a lot of guys in there, so not a whole lot of incoming freshmen, so that's going to affect the number. But still, the quality is not that great for USC. But that's all going to change, right, because Lincoln Riley's there. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Well, I mean, Oklahoma, of course, has been recruiting extremely well, certainly while he was there, but it's Oklahoma. It's one of the top five football schools in the country. People climb over one another to get to Oklahoma. To, if you get, a, you get a, an offer from Oklahoma, you've, you know, you've made a name for yourself at high school level of football. So what is happening with these coaches? Jed Fish, obviously, he has a focus on the NFL. We, we know that and it, we've seen immediate turnaround in that, and Arizona probably has now where they had one guy last year that NFL scouts were seriously considering um, you know, on that, uh, on that team. Now, with this with this group of incoming freshmen and and the in the transfer portal, eh, there might be upwards of ten guys that eventually end up getting drafted into the NFL, which is a ridiculous, remarkable turnaround. Herm Edwards at ASU says that he's building an NFL style program. So far, that really hasn't panned out. In fact, they only had one player drafted into the 2021 draft. Arizona had more players drafted than ASU did. Justin Wilcox at Cal. More of a developer, less of a recruiter. Carl Durrell, more of a recruiter, less of a developer. I don't know what Dan Lanning is going to bring at Oregon. Jonathan Smith, more of a developer, less of a recruiter. David Shaw, a little bit of both, right? Chip Kelly, who seemed to be a great recruiter, however, at UCLA, has kind of been like, nah, I don't really want to do that anymore. <laughs> like, he's not really showing the fire that uh, UCLA was hoping that he would have when he put on that uh, that powder blue uh, that powder blue shirt. Their classes have not been very good, and they have not been developing players. 
So things problem. There's, there's problems under Chip Kelly at UCLA. He's on borrowed time. Just talked about Lincoln Riley. Obviously, things are going to be good under Lincoln Riley at, at USC. His transfer portal is going to be insane, and they're going to start recruiting at a really high level. Kyle Whittingham, a good recruiter and a great developer. And I don't know what the other two guys in Washington are going to do. Kalen DeBoer, uh, the new head coach there from, from Fresno, not, you know, no idea. I know that Washington's recruiting class was god-awful this year, but they only signed like six guys. So, <laughs> okay. And then you got Jake Dicker taking over at, uh, at Washington State. I literally no idea what his, what his recruiting prowess is or what his f- model is as far as developing players and recruiting players for the NFL. Obviously, you want to get as many as you can, but you're in the Palouse. Good luck. So right now it's looking like, you know, maybe teams like Arizona, USC, Stanford going to be carrying the torch for a little bit until we find out what guys like Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer are going to do at some of the bigger programs. What is Chip Kelly going to do? Is he going to get off his butt and actually do some work at UCLA? So immediately turning around, not going to happen. But in four years – I fully expect there to be a a parade of Pac-12 players into the NFL draft. And that's a good thing because if the conference is getting better, competition is better, everyone elevates their game, everyone works harder, it's just a better product for everyone and a hell of a lot more enjoyable and more respectable across the country. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll continue to talk some NFL right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. You know, part of the the thing, and I'll I'll finish up this hour talking about the Pac-12 and and football and, and such. You know, one of the things that we have to realize about what the Pac-12 is going to look like in the 2022 season and moving forward. Half of this league's coaches have coached fewer than 20 games in this conference. Half of them. Jed Fish has coached, what, 13 games in the Pac-12? 12 at Arizona, one at UCLA, right? Carl Durrell has coached 18 games. Well, he coached at UCLA back in the day, back when it was the (laughs) Pac-10. So I'm not counting that. But he's, you know, 18 games at Colorado. Uh, USC, Lincoln Riley has never coached in the Pac-12. Kalen DeBoer has never coached in the Pac-12. Jake Dickert was an interim coach for six games last year. So half of this league, its coaches are still trying to figure out what the Pac-12 is. Some of them haven't even played a game in the Pac-12. Three of them haven't even played, coached a game in this conference yet. So... There's going to be it's it's there's going to be some time that needs to be required. Not everyone is just going to take the world by storm like Jed Fish did and walk in and take a program who was recruiting in the 70s nationally and take them to a top 20 top 25 recruiting program in one year. Now I'm not saying that that is going to be the trend every year. I would love it for trust me. We would all love for Arizona to have a top 25 class every year. If Arizona is able to produce a top 25 class every year, they're going to a Rose Bowl. They will go to a Rose Bowl if they can get that kind of recruiting for the next 3, 4, 5, 10, 12 years, whatever it takes, however long Jed Fish is here. You you can't recruit that well and not eventually win one. I mean, Rich Rodriguez had back-to-back 30, you know, top 30 uh, uh, classes and went to a Fiesta Bowl. So 
you get top 20, top 25 classes, especially with the turnover that's going on right now, uh, you got to, right? <laughs> Eventually we'll be able to beat Utah. So the conference is very young. There's a lot of young coaches in this in this league. Kyle Whittingham is far and away the old man of the, of this league, followed by David Shaw. And then everybody else haven't really been here very long. One of them probably not going to be here very much longer. Herm Edwards, I not sure, not sure how long he's going to be that coach at ASU. And Chip Kelly, if he doesn't turn change his ways, they're sick of his stuff over there. I guarantee you, he's just not putting in the work that is required. Can't just sit back and be UCLA anymore and just let them all come to you. You got to put into a little work yourself. Little chipper, see what happens. He's still got his eyes on the NFL, I think. All right, that's going to wrap up our number one, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Still got plenty more to talk about in the second half of the show today. Our number two will feature some NBA, some more NFL talk, and uh, some college basketball as a tournament still moving forward with the Sweet 16 starting tomorrow. Just a quick little two-minute turnaround right here. Stay tuned with us, and we'll be back here for the 8 o'clock hour of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Casino del Sol Studio, the soul of Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson, KFFN Tucson, KWCX Tanka Verde, KMXZ HD4 Tucson.